Hey, it's good to have uh, Kelly back there keep me straight on technology. <laughs> well, for all of you who are looking forward to coming and hearing Pastor Josh speak today, I'm sorry, I'm here. <laughs> but we're going to continue in the series of making change today. And uh, Josh usually tells some jokes that are kind of corny. I'm no better. <laughs> so, how many people like change? How many people like change? <laughs> Do you know, you know what the only group of people on the face of the earth that appreciate change on a regular basis is? Babies with dirty diapers. It isn't getting any better than that. So, <laughs> Anyhow, so we're, to, last week you heard Josh speak about less is more. And today we're going to be talking about tomorrow matters. Um, so when we talk about tomorrow matters, there's a lot of different ways. Um, some of it's financial, some of it is relational. So I'm going to kind of touch on, on a couple different things as it relates to why does tomorrow matter? How can we be prepared and how we can make preparations for tomorrow? So that's what our, our conversation is going to be here. We're going to start off with a couple scripture verses here. It says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Proverbs 21, 20. And the next one is, go to the ant, you sluggard. I like that word, sluggard. Considers its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. You know, this week um, I was looking at, uh, I got back to the office Wednesday, Thursday, and I go into the office on Thursday, and they usually have some newspapers at the front desk, and I looked at one, and it said close to 40% of all Americans cannot make an expenditure, an emergency expenditure of more than $500, because they do not have any personal savings accounts. So, and majority of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck. They're within, if they've lost their job within four weeks, could lose everything. Um, and that's a condition of our society. You know, you learned last week that less, you know, is more, that you can do with less, and then there are things. So with that, as you spend less, one of the things we would want you to think about is how do you invest in tomorrow? How do you make provision for tomorrow? You know, and one of the things we want to do here at our church is we want to, we always want to talk about what the Bible has to say. So everything I'm going to say today comes right from the Bible. Now, some of you know I teach a financial class. It's biblically based. Um, <clears throat> and one thing that is mentioned there is um, over 2,500 scriptures mention about money, investing, possessions, finance. 2,500, it's the number one topic in the Bible. And 15% of everything that Jesus talked about, if you look at it, if you go through your red letter edition Bibles, you'd see that 15% of what he talks about is in the area of finances and money. So that's one of the reasons why we want to talk about this at church to help you along. It's an important topic. How many people sometime this past week have thought about money or finances? <laughs> so it's a pretty relevant topic for us. So we just want to bring a little bit of things, um, point out to what the Bible says, because there's some things that happen in our culture, things that you would learn that maybe not be sound. Now, my, my uh, professional training has been as an accountant. Um, I'm a chief financial officer of a company. I deal with 401k plans. 
I deal with things, so I deal with a lot of things when it comes to investments and things. Plus, with the, But, you know, a lot of the things you learn necessarily um, in the books and going through college aren't really scriptural. As a matter of fact, they can actually be harmful to you if, you're not, if you know what you're doing. Um, one of the things is some people would say, well, borrow, leverage. Well, the Bible speaks about not borrowing, not leveraging. So it was interesting when I started a number of years ago looking at what the Bible said about our personal finances um, and just understanding that, hey, I've learned a lot of things that I probably need to unlearn and relearn the way God views things. So that's one of the things we want to look at. So <clears throat> there's really basically two ways to make money, okay? Um, the, way, the two ways of making money is people making money and money making money. So we're going to explain the, the, the big difference between that. Now, people making money is pretty much most everybody knows. You have a job. You go to work every day. And the work that you do, you're paid for. So that's one way of making money. <clears throat> the other thing that um, you can do that some people can do, and if you have free time, <clears throat> and that is hobbies. Anybody ever know that your hobbies could be a source of income? And this is the one thing when people ask me, my teaching in my classes is, you know, there's all there's other ways that you might be able to make money. Just think about what are the things you would like to do. Um, some people have jobs they don't really like very much. They have to do them. I'm just blessed that I get a, I have a job that I like to do. Uh, but there's our ways of, of making money. Um, <clears throat> so the other thing you can think about is doing, okay, when, you, when you're making money and you have that, as far as Another way that you can slowly start to make, have more money is make more with what you have. In the same kind of token, make more, more or less from last, last week, is every time you get a pay increase, you know, you should. If you're not used to saving, okay, take half of that pay increase. If, let's say, you get a 2% raise at work, take 1%, put it away, okay? You won't miss it, right? If you're already living on the income, if you get a raise... If you are dedicated, if you're not used to saving, start there, start small. That's a, that's a good way of starting to do it. What I tell young people, when I have young people that start our company, they sit down with me, <clears throat> and we start going over things like the 401k plan, and a lot of these guys are fresh kids right out of college, um, and I'll look at them and say, before you get your first paycheck, be committed to putting a certain amount of money away. Pay yourself first. I said, because if you start that, you'll never miss it. And that's a, that's a thing that you want to think about from that standpoint. <clears throat> so it's a way that you can immediately start trying to find those additional funds to do that. The other way to start down the road of investing is, from last week's summer, if you can do more with less and you have that little extra, start putting it away. <clears throat> and it's important to do it, you know, start small. You know, nobody says you have to immediately come up with this big, big pot of money. Um, the other thing that I would say with people, how to get started. Well, in a few months, everybody's going to be filling out those tax forms, sending money in, and the majority of people get a tax refund. And what most people do with those tax refunds is what? Spend it. Either they immediately plan for a vacation or there's always something, and they say, I have this, and so they immediately want to spend more. <clears throat> But it here says, fools spend whatever they get, right? That's right from Scripture. 
be, think about how can you put a little bit away. Um, and again, in the, in the area of investments, you always have to take a long-term viewpoint. So many things in our culture is about immediacy. I want this. We have fast food. We have this. We have that. We don't like to wait. We're impatient. We want it, and we want it now, right? That was one of the most, one of the very famous advertising. I want it now. So the thing it is, is B, it takes a little bit of a discipline. It takes a mind check. It takes change to be able to start doing this. <clears throat> the other way of making money is money making money. And here it says, a man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave, gained five bags more. So the Bible is very clear that we should be able to invest. We should invest. Now the trick of this is, how do you invest? What do you invest in? How do you invest? That's the thing that most people just don't know. You know, when I was a young man, I had no idea. When I was working in a shop and they said, hey, put money in a 401k plan. I like, put money. I said, okay, now what do I do with it? Where do I invest it? You know? And there was really, really wasn't a lot of help. Okay, I don't know where to invest. So that's where you have to start, you know, asking. You know, you have to ask questions, ask people. You know, I could help you with this if you ever come to me. Now, one thing I'm never going to do, I'm not a stockbroker. I'm not going to give you stock tips. I'm not going to. And that I'm just going to talk to you about general principles, which is what we're going to kind of cover here a little bit today. And uh, the number one investing principle I want you to understand, <clears throat> don't invest in things you don't understand. Okay? If you do that, you know, you might as well, you, you'll just be throwing your money away. <clears throat> By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And here is, we have to use wisdom. Wisdom comes from things we learn, things we read about. Um, if you have some wise people in your life, some people that you look at and say have been successful, talking to them, asking their advice, um, it's always a good thing, right? I mean, two heads are better than one. So you can learn how to do these things. Now, <clears throat> here's an example of something. My brother-in-law is very handy with cars. He's an electrician by trade, but he loves cars. All he ever does is watch the car channels. He knows so many things about what cars, what cars are popular, especially old cars. He can be driving down the road, and he'll say, ooh, look at that. What I see is a pile of junk, okay? It is, a <laughs> okay, I don't see why you're so excited about that. Tim gets excited because he sees what could become of it. He's been known to buy cars, fix them up. You know, some of them he, he will completely restore. Other ones he just gets them looking better, and he knows people who will want to restore it, so he picks them up for a couple hundred bucks, sells them for $1,000. I mean, in his way, he invests. He has a savings account that he kind of keeps, so he can go out, and when he finds these deals, buy them, take them, and flip them. I mean, that's, that's what he does, and he loves doing that. He recognizes the value. Me, I would lose money. I'd lose my shirt. I would not know what is the, a hot car to get or buy or anything else. I have no ability to do things. I mean, I'd have to call Ryan and Ryan. Hey, can you do some body work on this? I, mean, I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, but Tim, he's handy. He can do all those things. So there's things that you can do. He understands. For him, that's how he invests. 
He invests his time and some money, and it gives him a very good return on his investment. But he understands that. Um, other people understand real estate. Um, I understand real estate, but I just, I'm not going to go out and invest in it um, because I don't like it. The other thing is you have to understand it, and also, do you enjoy it? You know, sometimes the things that you understand and enjoy can be a way you can invest, that you can get a good return on the money that you invest in. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing for most of us, the things that we're going to use to invest in are what we consider the traditional financial uh, markets, financial instruments that are called stocks, bonds, CDs. There's things called real estate investment trusts, which is kind of like real estate, but they just kind of package it all together and you buy into it. It's kind of like a mutual fund. For, for real estate developments. So one of the things when you're thinking about investing, let's go to the next slide, is we don't put all your eggs in one basket, okay? Now this was God's word that people eventually looked at and they put a new word on it in the financial community and they call it divestiture, okay? Meaning you wanna diversify whatever you buy. You don't wanna have all your financial assets in one area. Because if that area goes down, you could lose a lot of money. But if you have a mixture of different things you're investing in, if one goes down, the other one's maybe going up. So overall, your basket of eggs isn't jeopardized, if you want to think of it from that standpoint. It's interesting that people use and take a word that comes right from, from God's, God's word. It says in God's word, Ecclesiastes, but divide your investments among many places. For you do not know what risks might lie ahead. That's Ecclesiastes 11.2. I mean, God's word started talking about diversification before it became a hot topic with most investors. So I always find it amazing that people who don't maybe not believe in the Bible sure do uh, believe in some of the principles of the Bible. I always find it to be, be kind of fascinating. So how do you diversify? Um, there's different ways of, of what they call diversification. There's, you can buy different financial investments. Um, my wife and I, we have some financial things. We have some things that are in mutual funds. We have some things that are in bonds. Um, we have different types of accounts that we have. We have IRA accounts. We have my Roth account at work. And then we have our own personal savings outside of that. So each one of these things is you want to be able to diversify. So it's not just about what type of asset you have, but what are those assets going to be used for? We, at my work, we have what's called a health savings account. And some people probably have those at work. Most of the health savings accounts, um, because the money goes in completely tax-free into those accounts, after you have a certain threshold, they allow you to go and invest those in mutual funds. So for me, I put a lot of money in that account. I always want to maximize it because it's 100% tax-free and I'm a tax guy. So. Anytime you can get something that's completely 100% tax-free, why wouldn't you want to put money into it, right? So that's one of the things I do. And then so I have my HSA account, that's, and then I have my Roth account. For people who don't know what a Roth account is, you put money into a Roth account, you don't get a tax break now, but you get a tax break later, meaning everything that you pull out of that eventually is tax-free. You don't have to pay taxes on it. So that's a good vehicle to have. And then the other one is, IRAs or your 401k, traditional 401k plans at work. You put money into them, you save the taxes now, but you have to pay tax on it later. So if you have all these different things 
and I'm about 10 years to what my re full retirement age is. So when you get ready to end that new season of life where I may not be working and getting a paycheck, being able to pull the money out of different accounts that have different taxing things, I can minimize taxes. That's another way of, as long as I keep more money in my pocket, that's just as good as investing money. So those are different things you want to look at. And um, if anybody ever has any questions about what to invest in, tax treatment of things, I'm always here. I'm not going away. I'd be glad to talk with you. And I like to pride myself on beating the government out of money. Okay? If there's a legitimate way, it's not tax evasion, it's tax avoidance. If I can help you avoid taxes, I would love to be able to do that. Um, because I figure you are, would be a lot better steward of that money than our government. Does anybody want to dispute that fact with me? I didn't think anybody would want to, to do that. So some of the things that you, you when, when you go looking to invest, a lot of people don't understand stocks. They don't understand bonds. Um, they don't understand some of these other type of investments. Um, but I want to try to briefly explain to you, as, as briefly as can, what stocks are. Stocks are nothing more or nothing less than owning a portion of a company. A company, let's say, I like to use GM, but they're not a really good, as, as good of a company as they used to be, but you can say Walmart or any of these big uh, Fortune 500 companies, they sell their stock. When you own their stock, that then means that, hey, I own a piece of that company. And because you own that, as that company prospers, usually your stock profits. You know, with it. Some of them give dividends. When they make an income, they then give, they send out to all their shareholders a dividend. That is a return that you get. So you're just like, you know, if you could own your own company, just think of that, you just own a piece of somebody else's company. That's really what all the stocks are. Now where stocks get a bad reputation from time is sometimes they go up and down, right? There could be what they call a panic about, um, you know, if you go back, you know, a decade and a half ago, when 9-11 happened, um, a lot of people panicked. The stock market did what right after 9-11, do you know? It went down. Now, let me ask you. The day after 9-11 happened, was the value, the actual value of a Walmart, of a GM, any company, did they lose any assets? Did they lose their income earning potential? Probably not. Maybe short term, if people don't, you know, don't buy it. Most of your ones like Walmart, people would over panic and start buying, so they would have more income. But when that when that dips like that, and you have that big dip, it doesn't mean that the underlying conditions of those companies have been affected. Um, so, when in that regard, when that stock market dives, what do you think would be the most prudent thing to do? I'll tell you what I did. I went out and I bought into the stock market. Why would I do that? How many have ever been to a white sale for JCPenney in January? Why do you go to a sale after the holidays? After Christmas, they mark everything down. You go there because what? You're getting a great price. When, the, when you see a big dip in the stock market, you have to think, is that a long-term thing? Or is that just people being panicked? And if you think long-term, if you think like God wants us to think, God wants us to have a long-term vision. He wants us to think long-term. You look at that and say, 
That doesn't make sense. I should probably buy. Now, would it continue to go down for a little bit? Yeah, but it's still, eventually, it'll come back up again. So those are some of the things. When other people panic, as children of God, we shouldn't panic. We should be smart, right? So from that regard. Now, <clears throat> now what I just said about taking advantage of things like that leads us to the next thing, and that is don't try to get rich quick. In this scenario, well, there's a lot of people that like to what they call time the market. You know, I, you know, I hear this. It might be a good tip. I want to get in this. Or I hear about, and they try to invest, and they're trying to make that big score, right? Unless you really know what you're doing, that could usually end up backfiring. I have, uh, when I counsel some people at work, sometimes they don't understand the stock market. They don't understand uh, how they work. We try to educate our employees. But a lot of times, they will see the stock market drop. They get scared and nervous. They sell out of that type of thing within their 401k, and they put their money into a fixed account <clears throat> that doesn't really give them a large return. And then they leave it sit there. And then as the stock market starts to go up, then they go, oh, I ought to get back in. And then they get it. So what they're always doing is they're buying high, they're selling low, and they just, it doesn't help them. So you have to think that, they're trying to get quick, rich quick when it's starting to go up. And then when it goes down, they get panicky because they don't understand what they're doing. So some of the things um, you have to think about, if you hear something that sounds too good to be true, it's usually too good to be true, right? Right. <clears throat> In Scripture, it says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, that's one of the things that I see sometimes is people want to hear, oh, I just heard this tip from somebody. Yeah, who'd you hear? Well, this taxi driver. Okay, if the taxi driver's heard about it, chances are anybody who's in that market's already in that market, and everybody, I mean, you know, and the other thing is it could be dishonest, right? Or, or you know, <clears throat> Proverbs also says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gains money little by little makes it grow. Now, if back in the day when I was in public accounting and I was working for some large companies, one of the ones was working for John Deere. I happened to be working at John Deere the quarter, the, the financial quarter where they first turned a profit after about three years of losses. What do you think happened to their their stock price as soon as they release those earnings. Now, if, because I was auditing them, I knew what the income earnings, they hadn't been released, I had what's called inside information, right? So there's laws about insider trading because I could have went in, bought the stock, and watch it really go up. Or I could have let this information leak out to people, get... So those are some things there, but those things are dishonest. So those are things that um, when we look at things, we always want to make sure whatever we're doing, whatever we're investing in, we're doing it in the right way. Because um, I've seen a lot of people that try to bypass that, um, change their ethics around a little bit to able to get money. Sometimes I see this in the business world where I've seen business owners decide to um, basically cut benefits for employees. I've seen other things, or cheat vendors, or do other things to increase their wealth. 
um, it usually ends up pretty badly for these guys because once employees find about it, they find other places to go work and everything else. So the thing we want to look at is we want to be able to try to get to increase our wealth, but we want to do it God's way, which is a little bit at a time, done wisely, smart, in an organized way, and consistently. I mean, if you do it consistently over time. Here's the thing that I, I, I let people know about. If, if you start saving at the age of 18 and you put $2,000 away for 10 years till you're age 28, and then you have somebody else who starts putting money away at the age of 28 for 40 years, $2,000 a year. Who has more money at the end? The person who saved for the 10 years or the person who saved for basically 40 years? Who has more money at the end? Yeah, Debbie's taking my class, you know. <laughs> the 10-year person, all right, because of the way that interest and investment can compound. You start out little, so you can start saving a little bit. So the thing I would say for the younger people in our audience, whenever you can start saving, save now. Don't wait. Start a little bit at a time as you go through uh, and do that. Um, things you want to understand is, here's a formula for you to understand. It's money plus consistency plus time equals wealth. That's the most prudent way of doing it, to slowly go through. And it may not seem much when you're first starting out. The thing that I always recommend to people first when they come to my class is, the first thing is what we discussed last week. Okay, let's get you, get figure out where you're at. Um, a lot of people don't like the word budget. It sounds kind of, you know, it sounds really accountant-ish and don't understand it and it seems very clinical. I always tell people, think of a map. How many people have used a map in their day? I know nowadays with GPS, you really don't have to use them as much, but a map tells you what? You're here and you want to go where? and they tell you how to get there, right? So if you think of the one thing you wanna do first before you start investing is you wanna get a map. A map is nothing more than a money allocation plan, M-A-P, money allocation plan. You wanna start allocating a small little bit to something. The thing I always tell people to do is, the first thing you wanna do is get a savings account and get $500 in it. That should be your first goal. Before you start thinking of stocks or bonds or how to invest, just do that simple little thing. Get an emergency. That's saving for tomorrow. What that does when you have that, when you have these repairs, you have these things that happen to you, you're not going on the credit card with high interest rate or anything else. If you can just slowly get off the credit cards and develop and get $500. The next thing you want to do, if you're looking at how to get on a map, if you want to go on a financial freedom journey, is the next thing you want to do is get to two to three months salary saved up, okay? And you say, wow, that's a lot of money. Well, yeah, it is, and it'll take time. But if you do that, now let's say something unfortunate. The economy takes a downturn, you get laid off. You have three months before you start losing your house, before you start, and most people are not out of work more than three months. So you have that safety valve. Now you're looking after that, then you wanna start really looking at how to invest. If you have a 401k plan at a work, you want to be able to put money away there. That's a very easy way. It comes out, and you can save money on it. Um, you save taxes and everything else. Um, 
So those are the, some of the things that you want to kind of keep in mind. It's a journey. You start here, and you may not be able to be here right now. There's a lot of people here that might be living paycheck to paycheck right now. And what we're talking about is you want to make change. And all you need to do is do a small change. You know, if you were going to sail from here to Europe, and you're off just one degree, you're never going to get to the destination you want to go. If you're in a ship, and they have their compasses off one degree, by the time they get there, so you can start small with a small change, and you can land in a whole different place in as far as your financing, your investing, and where you want to be you know, down the road, and things that you want to save for. The other thing is have a goal for what you're saving for. Okay, everybody has an idea. Boy, I'd like to save up for if I had, you know, I always like to ask people, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And they, they'll rattle off different things. Well, that tells you, okay, that's maybe the thing that you want to start saving for. That tells me a lot about who you are and what you want to do and how, how you should do that. And you can get there. You know, it's very easily for just a small amount of money saved up over a long period of time to get you where you want to be financially from that standpoint. Here's a few more things I, I want to bring out to you uh, to remember that about what tomorrow matters. Do you know that the Bible makes no mention of retirement as we know it? Everybody think about that? Do you know that retirement is relatively a newer concept? Um, now, the underlying principles of why God wants us to invest, to save, to put money away tomorrow, when they talk about that is because <clears throat> in the Bible, they recognized in, in that agrarian culture that you may not be able to do the work you used to do, right? I, I know now... Somebody told me when I was in my 30s, and he's in his 50s, he says, oh, you won't be able to do that forever. I thought, oh, well, I'm 57. I understand. I can't do everything I used to do when I was 30. Um, sometimes I still try, don't I, honey? <laughs> and the next day, I'm moaning and <laughs> can't move. So, but there is a thing. So we want to provide to put money aside, but... There's no really thing about what we want to do. There's no retirement. Um, and this comes into play in a lot of things. In our churches, sometimes w people can get a retirement mentality, meaning, oh, I'm going to retire someday, which I've, I've done everything that I need to do. You know, I've done that. I need to let the younger generation carry over. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, the other thing about tomorrow is we need to teach your, your children and grandchildren about finances. Um, it says in God's word, a man, a good man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Um, and with this, I think that, it, that is important. But the bigger thing to do here is we should be actively trying to teach the next generation about money and finances. How many people here, when they were in school, learned everything they needed to know about balancing a checkbook and investments, how to put money away, and how to live on a budget or on a map, if I, the word I like to use. They don't teach, right? They don't teach. I mean, we're a consumer uh, economy. I mean, it's, the economy gr is driven on what a lot of what people buy, living from pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck. We can be smarter than them. Let the rest of the world fund our economy with all we're spending and everything else. We want to be prudent, all right? We want to be able to save 
and be prudent and put money away. Um, and we want to teach our children this. Um, the thing that I see here is a lack of that, um, a formalized teaching of our children. And unfortunately, a lot of times we teach our children the wrong things, right? From last week, you know, where Josh was talking about, hey, you know, less is more. What are the things we're teaching our children by wanting everything now um, about things? So you have to be very, very conscious of that. Um, with my granddaughter now, I'm starting if she wants money, I says, oh, I have some chores for you to do. You can earn your money. Instead of just giving it to her, I want her to understand the need. I mean, she's old enough now to understand that when she comes out to grandpa's, if she wants some additional money, I always have chores for her to do. She, if she wants to do something, she can help me. That's how she, I don't, I resist that temptation to just give her everything, right? I try not to spoil my grandchildren. I do a little bit, but what grandparent doesn't spoil them a little bit, right? Um, with, and then the same thing is, you also want to be prepared to leave a legacy. Um, and when it comes to leaving a legacy, I think the greatest thing you can do is to leave an example of service and generosity that was started while you were living. That's the thing, if, if I want to leave a legacy to my children and my grandchildren, the thing that I want to be noted for and the thing that I try to model for them is generosity and service. Um, I always believe that we always should give back. And I teach my granddaughter, I, when uh, Derek and uh, Peter get a little bit old, I'll teach them the same things as best as I can, is we need to be able to do that. Um, and with that comes a plan. You know, I have plans that I'm working towards right now, that my wife and I, we have that we want to leave you know, even we want to leave a legacy for our children and our grandchildren. We want to teach them the right things. And then we want to help fund these things for them. We want to be able to teach them how to use money so that at the right time, we can start giving them money and see how they do, see how they do it. Because one of the things <clears throat> we have to be careful of, and that is overindulging, giving too much, and not training people. Um, I worked with where a lot of owners, successful people, had a lot of money, and I've only seen one of them not screw their children up with wealth. Most of the time, great wealth without training screws up their children. I've seen a lot of screwed up rich people because, you know, one of you think, well, oh, if I had a million dollars, I could fix everybody's problem. No, you just make a lot more problems, and they're usually bigger. So one of the things is when, when we think about leaving a legacy, you got to leave the right legacy. One of the things I tell people is as you're planning for tomorrow, as you want to do that, the best thing to do when you're doing this is to start giving your inheritance to your children and your grandchildren before you die. Start, if you want to do that, give it to them. See how they use it. Be able to teach them how to use that. There's nothing worse than dropping a big pile of money on somebody who has no training, no ability to understand how to use it, how to use it for good, how to use it the right way. It does two things. One is they'll spend through it because they don't know how to use it. The second thing is they tend to rely on it and not rely on God. And one of the things that I never want to do is leave my children in such a condition that they don't feel they have to rely on God for anything. Um, 
because actually, I mean, there's nothing is more secure in our life, and that is having faith and being able to trust God. Money won't do it. Money evaporates. Anything evaporates in this world. Relationships evaporate. Everything evaporates except for God. So the other thing when we're looking as far as when we're trying to invest and we're starting to worry about tomorrow and make provision for ourselves, for our families, things like that, we also want to make sure we don't go overboard and, and hoard, put money away, and then do damage to our, the next generations by giving them way more than what they need to have. Um, need to help them, but you don't want to harm them with the wealth that you may leave them. <clears throat> and that's a difficult balance. Uh, and it's gonna look like differently for different people. If you want more information on that and some ideas, I'd be glad to share you what I know about that. Um, if you wanna know how to do that, some of the things, some of the plans that I have, I'll, I'll share with you. And they may not be perfect, but at least it, it's a, a plan. Um, the other thing I want you to understand is we all have been given gifts to build tomorrow's church. Even in the area of finances, some of us um, have been blessed with more financial resources. Some have been blessed with other spiritual gifts that are just as important. And one thing I want to do is always you want to be developing your gifts to be able to be used in service now and, to, and, and later. I mean, every day is a new day that you can choose to make a difference in somebody's life. And that's one of the things when we're looking at the whole concept of tomorrow matters is you can do some things today to invest in people's lives with your skills, with what you have. Um, one of my um, deficits in life is compassion. I'm not a very compassionate person. I'm a very logical person. Ask my wife. My wife is a very compassionate person, okay? She, I mean... Yeah, there's, there's no comparison. I have no way of comparing. I mean, she is, you know, she has that gift. She can empathize with people. She can see that people, um, she has a lot of discretion, and uh, she can read people very well. And that empathetic approach, I mean, she's miles ahead of where I would ever be. I kind of use her as a way of, of helping me to be more clued in, because sometimes I can be kind of clueless. But those gifts are unique in helping certain people overcome things that I would never be able to help somebody with. But she has those skill set that can help people more than what, you know, I could throw money at it or something. But no, she knows what's really needed in some people's, and that's usually taking time to listen and empathize and, and do that. We all have our gifts. God has uniquely gifted us in different ways. I don't have the same gifts as some of you all. That's the beauty of a church. We all have our gifts, and if we invest those, invest those gifts in each other and each other's children and grandchildren, that is very important. That's even, I think, more important than making things financially secure is making sure the church is secure with how we do this. Leads to uh, my, one of the final things I want to talk about, and that is plan on being a Caleb. Okay? Caleb is my hero in the Bible, one of my heroes. I'm going to read Joshua 14, 10 through 12. It says, <clears throat> So I'm asking you for the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You were there. You heard the other spies talk about the part of the hill country and the large walled towns where the Anakim live. Now, the Anakim were giants. They were the big people. I mean, they were like, that's where Goliath's descendants came from and everything else. But maybe the Lord will help me take their land just as he promised. 
Joshua, it was 45 years ago that the Lord told Moses to make that promise, and now I'm 85. Even though Israel has moved from place to place in the desert, the Lord has kept me alive all this time as he said he would. I'm just as strong today as I was then, and I can still fight as well in battle. Now, you gotta, I mean, that's the kind of guy I want to be. When I'm 85, I want to say, hey, I'm still ready to do the fight. I'm ready to do what I need to do. I want to be in God's service my entire life. I want to finish well. And, you know, this past week I was with my son down in Virginia, and my son Scott grew up in this church. Um, one of the things that he grew up with was a lot of seniors always being engaged in the church. Uh, you don't know what a blessing that is. Um, his biggest frustration sometimes at his church is he has an, an older congregation and a lot of them have the mentality, well, I've put my time in, I'm done. I have no other, I have nothing else to give. I don't wanna be involved, let somebody else do that. You know, and he thinks back, he says, I'm not used to this dad. He says, I've seen a lot of people. He says, I know all the times that he worked down in the pantry and other things, you know, the harvesters, the way this church has been engaged. I don't know if you guys know how special that is. And I wanted to sit here and, and thank a lot of um, our seniors and for their faithfulness and their willingness to be worried about tomorrow, to stay engaged knowing that tomorrow matters. You guys have done an awesome job. And if nobody's ever said that to you, I want to say that to you. I thank you for that. I thank you for displaying that and modeling that in the lives of my children. It's been a very valuable lesson that they have learned and has encouraged them and has done them well. They know from what they've seen and what they've seen modeled before them that they're always to stay engaged, always work to the greater good, always be involved. Always be ready to serve. Now, when I work with a lot of, I'm not want to pick on millennials, but you know, it's a name that's out there in the media. A lot of people say, eh, millennials, you can, they're not self-starters, they're not this. Not. Yeah, I think they are once you tap into them, once you see them. I mean, they can be inspired, but they have to see it. They have to see it modeled. And that's what we're here for. That's what we need to do as, as a church is model that kind of state model that service, model generosity, model the need to put money away for future. There's so many things that our church can use to teach the younger generation the things that we've learned over our lifetime. And that's what we're about. And I, I want to, again, thank you for uh, taking the time to live your lives that way that can be modeled for people to really um, appreciate and look up to. I want to. I want to thank you for that. So, in closing, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna pray here real quick for the church. Um, if there's anything that you want to go over or talk, I'm always available. If there's some questions, things, follow up you want to know a little bit more about, feel free to ask me. There's there's no dumb question when it comes to this area. Um, just ask. Don't be afraid. Um, if you don't know, ask. There's a lot of things I didn't know growing up. I needed to ask somebody about. So feel free to do that, and I'll help you out as best as I can. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this church family. And 
we do miss it when we're apart. And Father, I thank you so much for uh, a lot of the people in this church that have been faithful over the years, that have modeled um, that tomorrow matters, that, that they do things today because they know it's the right thing to do to prepare the church for tomorrow. So Father, I just pray that you just continue to be with us and guide us. I thank you for your word um, that speaks into our everyday lives, whether it's money, whether it's our relationships, whether with each other, with a relationship with you. It is a diverse book of so much wealth of information, Father. We thank you for giving that to us. We also thank you for giving us your son, the greatest example of how to live our lives here on earth. So, Father, I just pray that you just continue to be with us this day. Bless us. Help us to be receptive to your word and apply your word in our hearts. For we ask this in your son's name.